All right, three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to There Will Be Bugs. I am one of your hosts, Ben. And today I have a very special guest with me. Uh, special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ollie Vetrovec, they, them. I'm a technician at Cornell Agritech in the entomology program. Nice. Um, uh, where are you from, Ollie? Tell us a little bit about your history and how you got here. Sure. So I'm originally from Denver, Colorado. I uh, <laughs> have always had an interest in nature. For a while, I was uh, putting that aside, though, for some pre-medical studies. I thought I was going to be a surgeon, and that didn't quite pan out for me. I started uh, undergrad at Franciscan University of Steubenville in Ohio in 2019. Uh, on the pre-med track and uh, in my sophomore fall I realized that wasn't for me. <laughs> I had one conversation with my now uh, advisor and mentor uh, Dr. Chris Payne and I said hey I can't do medicine I like plants though and he's like cool shelve that have you heard of the spotted lantern fly? <laughs> I have this really cool bug that I think you'll be interested in. I'm like ah, I don't know. He says Read, read a couple articles, get back to me. And uh, a couple articles later, I was completely hooked. The next couple years of my life, uh, till today, I've been putting my all into surveying and evaluating north, uh, <laughs> the northern Ohio Valley for spotted lanternfly in Ohio and West Virginia. And um, we just recently had our first online publication <laughs> of our work. So. I was looking for an REU uh -huh. uh, my last year of uh, university, and I ended up getting a position in the NALT lab here at Cornell Agritech, um, working on Colorado potato beetle. Okay. So that was my first introduction to the world of applied entomology okay. versus the insect ecology that I've been doing previously. So that was a uh, good changing of gears for yeah. me. And uh, yeah, I actually fell deeply in love with uh, applied entomology. And so after I finished up my bachelor's degree, I came here to beautiful uh, Geneva, New York to uh, continue working. So Ali, you get to deal with two really uh, important economic pests in the United States, don't you? So the I spotted do. lanternfly and the, um, the Colorado potato beetle. I do. Um, but we're more uh, we're gonna more talk about the spotted lanternfly for this episode. Sure. Um, tell us kind of what you so you're surveying for the spotted lanternfly in the Ohio area in uh, West Virginia. Yes. And um, when you're doing these surveys, what are you uh, what what are kind of your methods for these surveys? Sure. So uh, we've set the study up as one of the first longitudinal. Uh, spotted lanternfly studies. So we set up our first year in 2021 and we'd like to take it uh, as far as we can as long as we have funding. Um, so in a perfect world, a decade or more. Um, and so what this looks like is our field season is from late May and mm -hmm. semester through November or when we get the first big snow and the first frost um, that usually takes out the adult population. So the spotted lanternfly overwinter as uh, eggs, no adults survive the winter, which is very fortunate for us, we uh -huh. break in, in the winter and early spring. But starting in May, we will put out um, sticky traps on trees in woodlots we've uh, surveyed for 
uh, host species that have been shown to be favored by spotted lanternfly. Uh -huh. So that's your ailanthus, um, walnut, and maples. And yeah, we conducted those surveys back in 2021. We still use the same uh, plots and trees. And uh, yep, those sticky traps are evaluated on a 14-day cycle uh -huh. where they are um, removed, uh, observed <laughs> for spotted lanternflies, and then uh, replaced. And we will just keep doing that every 14 days, cycling through all of our plots. We're now up to 20 plots, but originally we just had 13. Uh -huh. um, uh, near the Steubenville area and then in the surrounding cities. Yeah. Um, what do you what are you kind of using this data for when you uh, when you're surveying for spotted lanternfly? So originally, <laughs> well, it was a lot of zeros. <laughs> <fairly recently. laughs> That's fair. Yeah. So we are actually very lucky because we got to catch uh, the Ohio infestation from almost baseline. Okay. So in 2021, we caught exactly one lanternfly adult. Oh, like okay. right next to some railroad tracks, <laughs> which was a confirmation of um, a hypothesis that a lot of people in the community have had, that the biggest contributor to long distance dispersal in spotted lanternfly is human transportation, uh -huh. uh, specifically trains. Okay. So um, yeah, the hypothesis is that lanternfly adults will lay their eggs on either cargo or um, train cars, which uh -huh. then move, and then they hatch somewhere else. Huh. And so that takes them a lot further than they would get on foot. Or, yeah. Yeah, so our first one in 2021 was a big success. Um, we had put in almost a year of work, and then we were rewarded <laughs> with exactly one adult. They, <laughs> big reward yeah, for a lot of work. Honestly. And then in 2022, we had a total of 31. Uh, and now this year, I'm no longer boots on the ground but uh, my team of technicians and my mentor have counted over 4,000 as a part of our study. Wow. <laughs> so in three years, we go from one to over 4,000, which is a pretty big jump. And so, yeah, so there's a lot of data that we can get out of this, uh -huh. especially because we did those vegetation surveys in the beginning. We can track um, host preference through time. We can track density, like, and our plots are different types. They're edge type, mostly edge type, plots bordering gas station parking lots yeah. we have one next to a walmart so mostly we're looking for high traffic areas um, of interstate travel okay bringing lantern flies from infested areas to uninfested areas uh -huh. so we're, we're trying to catch them along those corridors yeah we're talking about you new york and pennsylvania <laughs> <laughs> um what's i so uh the, it's kind of known that Atlantis is the preferred host for yes. spotter and lanternfly. Uh, what's kind of the density of Atlantis in these areas that you're looking? Because I know in New York, uh, it, it, Atlantis is usually centered around kind of these wasting areas sure. or like, you know, like you're saying, like when I think of like a gas station parking lot <laughs> and, and outside of a city, I think sure. of Atlantis. There you go. So it's what well, we set ourselves up perfectly. Here. Okay. Because, uh, North America, we got so many invasives that we brought brought here. Um, so we actually uh, brought Ailanthus to North America in I think the late 1700s. Okay, so it's and been so here for it's a bit of time. It is very well established. <laughs> it is in every county 
of 46 states in the continental okay. US. <laughs> so, um, and the, the four are very far north, and so that, that don't have any like this. Uh -huh. So it's everywhere, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Like, as you know, like, incredibly weedy, yes. loves, like, recently upset land, and it's perfect for these edge-type plots. And so um, there's been some work to suggest that Spotted Lanternfly does not require Ilanthus as a host, mm -hmm. but there is um, uh, a relationship there. Um, spotted Lanternflies derive uh, toxins, Ilanthones, from Ilanthus, okay. as the name suggests. <laughs> and so um, th there is a host um, relationship there. Okay. Do they, uh, do they use these toxins as like a, a chemical defense, basically? Yes. You know, and so they, there's great studies on like uh -huh. the oposematic interactions between spotted lanternfly, Ilanthus, and then birds are typically uh, the study <laughs> subjects. So yeah, so if those of you who are lucky enough to have not seen a spotted lanternfly, their forewings are spotted black and white, and their hind wings are this bright, bright, bright red, uh -huh. and their abdomens are striped yellow and black. Uh -huh. So there's a lot of like defensive coloration there, yeah, indicative of it's true opposmatism. So they yeah. are incredibly bitter, and uh, <laughs> I, have you tried one yourself? Oh, <laughs> I have not, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, even when baited with like butterballs, you can't get birds to eat them in very high <laughs> concentrations. So th that's one of the issues because they have no like consistent natural predator yeah. here in North America, and that's a, a big concern. We're having, we're seeing some insects take up the job. There are a couple. Um, I think there are some human wasps that yeah. really like to predate the uh, eggs, and some mantid species uh -huh. also will eat the adults. But it's not consistent enough. Yet, or we haven't noticed it uh -huh. yet. <laughs> yeah, maybe something hasn't really stepped up yet since this no. is kind of like a new development. In the last ten years, yeah, about so. It's kind of a shame because uh, you were you were talking about what they look like, and they really are quite. I find them a really attractive they're very uh, insect. Cute. They're very they're very <laughs> cute. Um, I think they're really quite beautiful. The spotting on their yeah. wings, but um, obviously, they're you know just because they're beautiful doesn't mean that they're going to be a, a, a really big problem. That's right. And so, um, what are uh, you know? You're, we're talking about specifically Atlantis as being like their main host species, but what uh, basically what's the concern about this insect? Uh, in the United States going forwards. Sure. Um, you know, why are we putting all this effort into monitoring and possibly controlling this? Right, so the biggest fear presently is um, the detrimental effects that spotted lantern flight feeding has on grapes uh -huh. and other um, uh, like woody tree species that are involved in the timber industry. Uh -huh. And so, uh, grapes specifically though, because there's uh, uh, the higher, more marketable yep. um, product grapes, especially in wine-producing regions. Yeah. Um, and there's um, more that can be affected in terms of uh, grape quality. Um, yeah, uh, growers in affected areas uh, in Pennsylvania have already noticed that, like, if lanternflies even feed on the vines without completely destroying the crop, there's an, a decrease in quality of taste and yield, mm. and so. Yeah, even a minor infestation could cause significant financial loss to okay. the grower. And so we have uh, quite a strong uh, community of uh, vineyards here in the Finger Lakes, but California uh -huh. is the big ticket 
uh, item here in North America and the United States that we're worried about. Um, they have a lot to lose in terms yes. of <laughs> economic losses to spotted lanternfly. And so uh, a lot of the survey work being done right now is in the hopes of being able to slow the spread westward so that that gives us more time to develop more of a um, management strategy, which are, there's not much of one yet, yeah. but hopefully with um, increased monitoring and just getting a handle on where it actually is right now, if there's some debate, uh, will hopefully um, help to mitigate those losses due to damage. Um, and so you're talking a lot about, um, like, we're talking a lot about monitoring and you mentioned slowing the spread. Uh, do you think there's any chance of eradication? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're I think past it's over. It's yeah. over, yeah. I kind of feel the same way. And so this importance of uh, monitoring and slowing the spread you mentioned is just so we can develop ways to combat this because it's it's basically here to stay right yes it, it, it is something that we're going to be living with for the it's, for the unforeseeable future i i agree completely i think it's <laughs> the next emerald ash borer effectively yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um yeah so we're picking up the pieces at this point uh-huh. trying to do what little we can I mean, that's a little doom and gloom, and people have opinions about <laughs> that take on it. But I mean, this is an opportunity for us to kind of pay it forward a little bit. Like, in the state of Ohio and the rest of us in the Midwest and the East, there's a lot of people at Penn State doing great lantern flight work, because mm -hmm. they've had it the longest. Yeah. And so they're using the established populations they have out there to come up with really great answers that hopefully will save the states to be infected after them, infested after them. Um, and so, I don't know. It's hard to get the communities that are not yet in quarantined areas uh, to care until yes. it's too late. Uh, yes. It's hard to sell preventative measures. I, I think that that's the trouble with a lot of invasive species in, in the first place. Uh, there's this conflict between overreacting and underreacting right. and like people always look at things that if you overreact and like you know say we overreacted and eradicated this then we don't really know what the how bad it could have got and so people are like oh you, you know why'd you put all this you know billions of dollars into right. this where in the long run <laughs> underreacting now we're who knows how much we're going to be right. spending and wait and, and losing, uh, you know, in the next 10 years on this. Right. It's expensive either way. It's expensive either way. And, um, you know, it, like you said, it's hard to sell people on preventative stuff, but, you know, looking back on all the things that we probably should have spent more money on, like mm -hmm. gypsy moth, you yeah. know, this is, you know, that's a problem that was hundreds of years ago, but mm -hmm. eradication efforts for that could have been amped up and we could have been, not dealing with these horrible outbreaks that we're getting these days right and, and you know spotter and lanternfly very well could be the next thing like that where mm -hmm. uh, you know in t 50 years we're going to be looking back on ourselves and being like ah oh, why didn't we <laughs> why didn't we do more right um are there any things that come to mind that you really um that you really like about our our response to lanternfly like it, are there some things that the United States did and, you know, specifically maybe environmental protection agencies did that you, uh, you know, 
think that did they did a good job doing when we discovered Lanternfly? I think people were slow. Well, I, there are a few good things, which I am grateful for. Um, and then there are some efforts that are misplaced. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think at least I can at least speak to uh, the USDA uh, agency in Ohio. Uh-huh. They did a remarkable job responding to the first spotted lanternfly sighting that we had, which was actually in our county yeah. of my uh, university in Jefferson County, Ohio. Um, they were down there like a couple hours after um, it was reported and they scoured the whole town and they actually got a really good read on like what was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found it right next to a train yard, <laughs> bringing stuff in from across the country. So I think some states are doing a really good job being really responsive to the community science. There's a lot of citizen science and community science to be done here. And I think a lot of communities have done a great job of educating just your everyday person. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, I've seen a lot of good, like, not promotional material or swag, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, like, reference materials yeah. for that are, that are accessible and easy to digest. Um, yeah, so especially in Pennsylvania and Maryland and Virginia now, people are like, hey, we got these guys and they're attacking my trees. What do I do? And they're actually really good resources for those people. Uh-huh. So at least I think we're doing a great job of having that conversation outside of academic spaces, which is very important because it affects all of us pretty evenly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we've done a really good job of um, <laughs> educating our communities. And now as the number of infested, infested counties are growing, that influence is spreading to unaffected counties. Uh-huh. And so... Yeah, that I've I meet few people who have ever heard of spotted lanternfly nowadays compared to when I first started. I've kind of noticed the same thing with outreach and with the invasive species, you know, in the last few years of how, you know, this is kind of a blast from the past. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't remember hearing about emerald ash borer until I was in college, even yep. though it's been in the states for a long time now. Yep. Um, and and it wasn't it, it's been a lot of its time not as a really bad economic problem, but even when it exploded, I still didn't really hear of it, don't, didn't really know what it was or anything like that. And um, I, think, I think we're making a shift, a cultural shift to really be aware of these problems sooner than later. Right. I think, especially among young people, like the response to calls for community action are met with a lot of enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yes, we can help our community by doing something really simple, stepping on these little bugs uh-huh. when we see them or calling them in. Yeah, totally, why not? It takes nothing from me. It's yeah. free to me to care <laughs> for my community. And I think that's that's remarkable. Uh-huh. I, I think it's really great. Uh, not to uh, ask you too much of a leading question, no but worries. even if the spotter lantern fly is here to stay like mm-hmm. I think we both kind of agree that we're not going to eradicate it from no. the United States mm-hmm. is it still important for these uh, for people to even if the the county they live in is very infested to try and make an effort to smush these insects or like set up traps on trees or anything like that is that still important even though it might be kind of a lost cause and in, ge- in the general scheme of eradication sure I mean I think mitigating pain and financial <laughs> loss is valuable uh-huh. and even in the little ways 
So even if you have a community who knows that they need to uh, stomp spotted <laughs> lantern flies and they see them, they teach their kids and they smash them with rocks, I think even little personal investment like that is still helpful in like managing these populations. Like mm -hmm. maybe you're not like decreasing the population, yeah. But even just maintaining that gives us time. Yeah. I mean, there are coordinated government and academic efforts to do the same, but like having the community on board does it's the same it's still helpful yeah and honestly it keeps uh that community mindset of like just like coordinated effort yeah um in line so i i think it's still worth it yeah. it's definitely still worth it i mean that that's all we can do right slow it down even if it's on the personal level yeah and, and if anything me um getting you talked a lot about having the community all together and on board with this it, you know who knows how that could help us with future invasive species exactly. because there's there's going to be more there's, there's gotta <laughs> be i mean <laughs> we're the land of invasive species unfortunately. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. so um it's it's really um important for that um is there anything else that you want to kind of mention about this bog lantern fly um going forward anything that really comes to mind maybe some uh, uh, any like little fun facts you know or closing oh, remarks uh i got a couple of fun facts so yeah. in uh my time dealing with them out in the field they're incredibly difficult to catch by <laughs> hand are they fast they're fast and they jump they're technically <laughs> they're fulgorids within uh, hemipterus they're uh -huh. true bugs and they're leaf hoppers or uh, tree hoppers uh -huh. and so they don't actually fly they more glide but their jumping ability is incredible <laughs> and they won't jump forward either they jump backwards oh really they will, like <laughs> backwards somersault off of a tree if you try to cup them with a container <laughs> and so my first lantern fly actually we didn't catch um on a trap we had set up it was when we were setting up the very first trap after evaluating a plot i'm wrapping my arms around this tree to put a band around uh -huh. and i see like near my knee there's one little lantern fly looking up at me and just, I'm like, oh my god, I don't know what to do. I I wasn't ready for this. I don't know how to catch it. And my uh, research assistant at the time was like, you're holding a whole roll of sticky tape. So I ripped off the and slapped it. it on there and I got him. But uh, next season in the same place, we had a lot of fun uh, trying to catch these guys as they were jumping past us and into our hands. Um, so yeah, they're really they really jumpy. Even the little ones. I've I have not dealt with many instars myself, uh -huh. but of those I know who have, they also jump very far. Okay, <laughs> and they're they're kind of silly. I, I like them quite a bit. So that's my fun fact. Uh, yeah, I think for anybody wondering about the status of their county, mm -hmm. quarantined, infested, or um, if there have been any sightings. Uh, Cornell Cal's actually has a wonderful live updated map of uh -huh. this. So, um, yeah, I think it's under NYS IPM. Yep, yep, it's under the New York yeah. State IPM um, tab mm -hmm. under you know under Cornell's yeah. umbrella of Cornell Cal's. <laughs> yeah, Honestly, just googling <laughs> spider lanternfly Cornell IPM, you'll get the you'll map get the thing. you'll get the map. And yeah, and it's wonderful. It's a wonderful resource. Yes, it has a lot of information on uh, where they are. Mm -hmm. It's very updated, and then you know uh, just more resources on what you can do mm -hmm. and. and 
Um, again, this is uh, this is all about slowing the spread. If you see some, if you're maybe in uh, you know the Midwest or a state that it's not Spider Lantern Fly isn't really known. If you see something that's suspicious, say something. Yeah, um, call it in to your. Um, it it depends. So every every state is different. Uh -huh. Every county is different. Um, get familiar with who to call in the event that you see somebody. Yes. If there's uh, local EPA or USDA or Forest Service or whoever, every every office has got some sort of protocol on this. Uh -huh. So finding out if and how they want you to report, um, just get familiar with that. And then if the day comes, go make that call. Yeah. Also, if you have the chance, either capture it or get a photo. Um, like that's really important because yeah. just saying you see something that might be a lantern fly. Doesn't, <laughs> yes, doesn't mean it's a lantern fly. If you can get a photo or even capture it and put it in a bag, throw it in the freezer. Yes. Um, like that is super helpful for um, for professionals trying to deal with this. So yes, definitely. Um, just don't say that you saw something and don't have any proof of it. <laughs> it really helps if you have proof. Yeah. It, yeah. It really does. Uh, thank you uh, uh, for uh, being on the show, Ollie. Uh, thank everyone for listening. Um, this concludes our episode of There Will Be Bugs, and I hope to have you listen to the next one.